The year is 2004. It's a tumultuous time in many parts of the world. Lots of unpredictable things happening, from once-in-a-generation underwater tsunami generating earthquakes in the South Pacific to the Red Sox winning the World Series. In the midst of all this, a two-part pilot airs on ABC for a show unlike anything we've seen before, or perhaps since. Created by J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof, Lost introduces us to the survivors of Oceanic Flight 815, which crash-landed on a mysterious island somewhere between Australia and L.A. Does what unfolds over the next 120 minutes of television forever change the medium? Well, that's what we want to find out. But in order to do that, we have to go back. This is How Good Was That? Lost, Season 1, Episodes 1 and 2. Guys... Where are we? All right. Welcome to the podcast. I'm John. I'm Keith. I'm Ryan. And I'm Steven. All right. So what I thought we could start with doing is kind of setting the stage a little bit. So 2004, what's going on in 2004? A lot. So we'll leave kind of the geopolitical stuff out and just start with Janet Jackson, partially exposed breasts. <laughs> <laughs> Super Bowl Always 38. Always a good place to start. It's a big, big deal. Patriots won that Super Bowl. Mark Zuckerberg creates <laughs> Facebook from his uh, Harvard dorm room. Summer Olympics in Athens, Greece. Ken Jennings wins $2.8 million on a historic Jeopardy run. We all graduated from high school and started college. And get this. In 2004, there were no less than three high-profile airplane crashes. Oh, wow. So, right. Yeah. Kind of interesting. So um, kind of starting from there. I know, Ryan, this is your first kind of go through watching this. Yes. Stephen and Keith, I know you guys binged it because we watched most of it together. Oh, yeah. Stephen and Keith, is this the first show you binged? I think the first show that I binged was actually The Sopranos. I got my hands on one of my first whole season DVDs uh, of The Sopranos, I want to say back in 2002 or 2003, and went through the first season. And then just quickly tried to get my hands on all, on all the other seasons that were out to that point. Um, but that was probably my first binge experience. This was my first binge until you're in a coma experience. <laughs> where I think I've <laughs> probably watched more episodes in one sitting than is, act- than is probably. <laughs> Keith? Uh, freshman year of college, I was still at home. And... I believe I downloaded most of The Wire. So I watched most of that. And then when I transferred up to the main campus, I did all of Seinfeld and all of South Park. <laughs> so I did a lot. South, South Park is such a task. Holy crap. That's a lot. Yeah. So is Seinfeld. It's both great shows, but that's a lot. It's a commitment. Yeah. But even by then, oh, well, what was it 2004? How many, how many seasons were they at? They were at like eight by then. That's a lot. <laughs> well they were the foundations of really something that became kind of a trait of our demographic that's of our uh generation and just the way that we like to consume media yeah no for, for sure. sure so I, go ahead Keith. I, I felt like i i always loved seinfeld and i knew that it was like an like an icon for just tv making and everything that I liked about comedy, so I kind of knew that I just wanted to watch it, and I thought it was going to be a chore at first, but it turned out to be like probably the best show that I've ever watched. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of best shows, we want to talk a little about like where Lost fits uh, in that hierarchy for you guys. So I know for me, quick story. So the first time when we started watching it, Stephen, you and I, I'm sure you remember this, we, we binged the whole first season on DVD. In the span of maybe maybe three days, and it's like what is it twenty something episodes? And we just watched oh, episode it was... after episode. Bad robot <laughs> echoing in our heads when we were sleeping. Like it was a tragic, much straight through. It was a tragic waste of waste of of, of several days. <laughs> just but it was over out. winter break. It was over winter break, and then the weather was was not good, so we yes. were missing anything. Absolutely. Yeah, and I had just broken up with my girlfriend at the time, and I was super depressed, and I just hammered out Lost with you, and it made everything a little better. Yeah, I mean, you you were lost, and then Lost was found. (laughs) Through Lost, I was found. And then, uh, yeah, and then I think the three of us, me, Steven, and Keith, all binged season two and three in Keith's dorm room, if I uh, remember correctly. (laughs) A lot of binging in that dorm room. 
Fair, yes. Good good point. So oh, yeah. Ryan, Ryan that's not a euphemism, by the way. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> by the way, by the way, season one was twenty five episodes, including two two part episodes. So it looks like the the um the series premiere was two parts, the pilot, and then the season finale was broken into two parts as well. So twenty five, forty five minute episodes. You what guys. you're saying is now you're now you've actually quantified the the sadness that was our our multi day binge of of Lost. That that's what sure. I was getting at. Yeah, yeah. So that was my point. wonderful. Well, thank Thanks, you for Ryan. that. <laughs> From the one guy who didn't who didn't experience it alongside us, and I, I'm curious to get your thoughts too, Ryan. <laughs> I'm experiencing it. Well, I will say I think as a 33, almost 34 year old man starting this for the first time. I was able to appreciate it more than my 22-year-old self would have. I probably would put would have paid even less attention back then. Hey, we were 19. Oh, yeah, yeah right? Wow. <laughs> uh, good. So, yeah. so from there, I think I kind of want to go a little bit through, like, what happened in the episode. So if, it, if you guys can kind of hit us with, a, like, a recap, let's just go high points of what happens those first two episodes that they lump together as a pilot. That's a good one. Uh, I mean, well, it's J.J. Abrams, so he's – I mean, now, does – that's a tough question to answer because if it's is J.J. Abrams and everybody else involved? Yes. Everything else is, then, is the same. Yep. All right. So J.J. Abrams definitely pulling it on Disney Plus because of all the Star Wars stuff, right? Sure. He's got it. Yep, yep. That or Netflix, you know, whoever gives him the most. And – yeah, I think it's good. I think it'd be my, I mean, I obviously, I didn't watch all the show, but I think it might end up getting a little darker, but it's also J.J. Abrams. So it's definitely got to have all that sci-fi, funky stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I vote Disney Plus. All right, Keith, what network, yes. what <clears throat> network, or what, where is it, where does Lost happen in 2020? And is there nudity, swearing, and or <laughs> gratuitous violence? <laughs> <laughs> Um, if it's on one of the like HBO or Stars, I would I would assume yes. Stars, Stars. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a Stars version of Lost. <laughs> <laughs> maybe isn't that maybe... just isn't that just US isn't that just USA? But they get to say fuck. Exactly. Hey, hey, Stars did Spartacus. I will not stand for any shade of being thrown at Stars. Uh... Or anyway, go ahead. Yes, I do believe there would be nudity, but I think the the most important part of it, like going back to what Stephen was saying, was the character driven stuff. And I think I read that Abrams didn't want to make the plane crash, didn't want to show any red at all because he didn't want to show any gore to take away from like all of the other stuff that was happening. He wanted you to really pay attention to like how the characters were moving and what they were doing. And he wanted you to see all of that. So I, I don't know if he would have really gone for the gore and the nudity. So I would probably, I would go with Ryan's Disney plus um, take. That's, that was a really good call. I love that. Obviously with the ABC, Disney, Hulu, you've got the right networks involved there as well. They're all Disney companies, right? So <laughs> got the trademark. <laughs> We're not on the on a yeah. Disney Plus dole. I will I will say now. Can, can I <laughs> can I interject to add to Keith's point? Mm. So I he I have the exact line that he probably read um, here. It says there was there was hardly any red in the red in the opening crash, including on the plane and its logo. This was J.J. Abrams' wish, as he didn't want to desensitize audiences with too much gore, and also to make the full revelation of Jack's injury more impactful. Oh, that's okay. I don't know. I don't know how much I agree with that just because we, it's not the most gruesome injury, even of that kind in the episode. Even if you're talking back, if you're talking back or torso injuries, it's not even the most gruesome in the I know. It's the shrapnel. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's maybe that's a typo, and it's probably supposed to be that shrapnel injury in that part. I'm assuming. But even then, you get a pilot ripped out of a plane by a freaking monster, and then then his, his torn apart body left in the trees. That's interesting, though. I do think that it's always it's never at a point where it's extremely realistic. And I don't know if that's part of just network television and filmmaking, but um, everything is always like the, you know, the gunshots are always like, uh, 
you know, almost like photoshopped in the flashbang of, of, of the bullets that you never see the bullet impact. It's just kind of like a, a poof of red, maybe at most. And, and maybe a computer, we never actually see any, see the wound directly. Um, and a couple of the thing the, the adult themes are kind of handled this way, although there are certainly exceptions. I mean, even Charlie's heroin addiction is kind of treated in a way you might expect a network show to, to treat heroin. Um, he's certainly not injecting it, not at this point in the show. Um, mm. He's, you know, he's, it, he's, he's taking it in probably the most vanilla TV friendly way you could, you could take one of the hardest drugs that there are. Uh, so I think that some of the network underpinnings of this show and the way that they make TV kind of um, present themselves here and, and are still and are, are very present. Um, but they're almost unnoticeable con- compared to the, just the grand scheme of this show um, overall scope of it compared to any, just about anything else that was on TV at the time. It almost felt like watching it. It almost felt like it was a, this is us version of, of the mystery box or the, or the, you know, the kind of thriller television, which I think is a similar handling of, uh, of complex issues. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely different, and it's definitely like a kids glove version. Uh, it, it doesn't go very deep. I think it's maybe somebody who's never done drugs understanding of what a drug addict is like, pretty much. <laughs> I agree. I can go deep on. I'm going to save it, but I can go way deep on the uh, kind of the tropes, the archetypes they use of the characters in this, and how kind of basic and vanilla they are, and uh, and I think. <laughs> almost juvenile in a way like if somebody was like oh we need a japanese character well they must have ties oh, to the yakuza well we've got a middle eastern gentleman well then he must be republican guard like that stuff is almost just ham-handed and how bad they handled that i think so true but it's very so network true. also it's very network television yeah. handling I, I guess i um, mean the the just to go back to like the way it kind of a network i, I guess it's not really how a network handles the action or trying to like disorient you but when when you first are like running to the scene with jack and you get to the airplane you notice that like the turbines just running and running and running throughout that whole like until it explodes and it's just so disorienting and it like creates chaos and i felt like that something simple with just the addition of that sound was like really unique and it just helped yeah I'm, yeah, that was a good shot. 100 percent with you on that. I think, um, so, and that kind of going back to Stevens' point about like the the violence isn't as gory or in your face, but that doesn't mean. I mean, there's no limitations on like the CGI or, or the effects in any way. Like the explosions are awesome. That turbine is crazy loud, and it kind of we see a lot of stuff later with JJ Abrams with with the sound effects. But I, th- I think you're dead on, Keith, in that it kind of transports you, and you feel like you're right there. That turbine yep. going off, yep. you're like someone's getting sucked into that thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, they spent a pretty penny on this production, and it shows. Uh, this yeah. certainly has higher production value than anything really to come on network TV previously, um, apart from maybe some of the, the Keystone episodes of, of uh, something like ER, or maybe you'd even have to take it all the way back to, to MASH or something when compared to their contemporaries. Yeah, which is kind of crazy, because like now watching it 16 years later, it's still, it still had that same slam for me. Like watching in episode two, watching the freaking plane get ripped in half and dudes shooting out the back. Like that Insane. was, I was like, wow. I feel like I'd be watching, you know, a movie <laughs> that came out right now. Wowie. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's the only word for it. Wow. <laughs> it was great. Okay. So we talked a little bit about Jack and kind of how he handles the first moments very briefly. But Keith, you're a healthcare professional. How convinced are you of Jack's ability and instincts as a doctor? <laughs> um, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a with a quote here um, from, <laughs> from from Sawyer. He says, "Whatever you say, Doc, you're the hero." That was a terrible impersonation, um, but I feel like healthcare. Healthcare professionals are are viewed as heroes, especially in this day and age. Okay, perfect. All right, so pilot part one. 48 survivors of an airline flight originating from Australia bound for the U.S., which crash lands onto an unknown island 1,000 miles off course, struggle to figure out a way to survive while trying to find a way to be rescued. And then moving on to part two, 
Having retrieved the plane transceiver, a group of survivors tried to transmit a signal only to receive a strange transmission back from another inhabitant. Awesome. So there we have it. Um, so kind of from there, I'm curious, I'll pose this question for Stephen. Could lost, could 2004 lost happen today? And part two, if not, then what does lost look like in 2020? Well, I think that a lot of shows have really tried to replicate what lost brought to the table in 2004. Uh, it was truly a unique way of storytelling. Uh, everything from the mystery box approach of, you know, every time we learn something new, every cliffhanger seemed like we were peeling back another layer of a very complicated onion. I think that was all, that was certainly something that has been done to varying degrees of success in a lot of shows since. Uh, and frankly, um, probably more often not, not pulled off very well. Um, we've seen in recent examples like um, Westworld and Netflix's The OA, where sometimes building a show just around the mystery isn't really enough to carry the show. I think what Lost proved is that having a compelling group of characters behind those mysteries is really what sets it apart. So while Mystery Box TV is something that certainly exists today and has experienced a lot of success since the premiere of Lost, I think it's only the ones that have been most grounded in their characters that have been successful. So to answer your question, uh, it, it definitely could exist, could and does exist today in a lot of ways. We certainly have a lot of mystery box shows, but the ones that are doing it best are the ones that uh, have a lot of great characterization. Shows like uh, True Detective or Mr. Robot. Um, you know, and as, as I mentioned, the shows that didn't do it so well seem to almost treat their characters as though they are just mere servants of the overarching plot. So Lost happened, if, if Lost never happened in 2004, it comes out now. What network is it on? What does it look like, Ryan? He, he handles the crisis well. He performs well under stress, um, which was very accurate. Um, but he also has control issues, like he, but can't fix the marshal. He's it's whatever he's doing is not working and he's trying his hardest. And I feel like that happens like every day at work for me. Um, you have the patients that you just can't fix and it's just really frustrating and it just makes your day not feel complete. So yeah, I, I think trying to fix everything is, is basically what a doctor or healthcare professional is like his innate ability. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that for sure. I mean, he does take like 25 seconds to look at the plane when he's just like walking like slowly. But <laughs> do you think he do you think he counted down from 25? <laughs> <laughs> he was take five times the amount. Fear, fear take over. Let's, let's just say his triage skills need some work. Yes, I agree. There you with go. That. And then he disappears. He bails on everybody. Go into the jungle. <laughs> to, he self secludes to examine his back wound. Well, there's all this stuff still going on, and then he has a stranger sew him up. When he tells what the hell is Kate story. doing out there, by the way? She's wandering around. In <laughs> oh, the you jungle. don't remember? Oh yeah, see, we we do find out what she's we doing. We do know what ha we do know that. Oh, that's right. She was looking for. No, she gun? just. I think that was part of it, or she had just. Well, now I feel really bad about my take. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can save it. Anybody else have thoughts? I just, I mean. <laughs> The whole story with Kate about the five seconds was so yep. lame. Um, that was yeah. I was just gonna say that. That's uh, it, it's not. I just had to let the fear in. Yeah, that's uh, malpractice. That's that's five seconds of malpractice. Yeah, exactly. They spilled out like <laughs> spaghetti. Um, <laughs> Keith, did you watch Goodfellas? Because <laughs> they say they spilled out like spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> Like a linguine. <laughs> uh, you sound like uh, Sebastian Maniscalco or something. Oh, no. Uh. Please. <laughs> this is so played up. Um, all right. So, I, so I'm going to – I have thoughts on this. Um, Go ahead. I, but I, I want to respectfully acknowledge that you know much more about this than me. But <laughs> with that disclaimer, I'm going to say that I think you left a lot to be desired as a, as a doctor. There's, there's times that I'm like – does he know there's people dying on the beach? This guy with the shrapnel, there's a woman who's potentially in labor and he's wandering around kind of examining wreckage. 
And I'm like, dude, you just told the pregnant girl she had to stay absolutely still. And then you had the guy Hurley, a stranger, mind you, pick her up and carry her 100 feet. I'm like, he's giving kind of differing instructions to folks. He's a little aloof. Granted, he just crashed. I get that. But there was a few a few things he did that had me like, I don't know, is he is he doing the right things as a doctor? Something related to the the marshal and the cuffs yeah. and the, all that stuff. Yeah, probably looking for him. I forget exactly, but she was she was out there snooping around. Lucky for him though, because she she sewed his ass up. I love when he mm-hmm. asked her, um, "You ever sew a patch in a pair of jeans?" And she's like, "No, but I'm basically a seamstress. Will that help?" Like she sewed her drapes. She had done so. <laughs> He's like, oh, well, that worked out. Let's go ahead and sew my back up. <laughs> Which I thought was convenient and funny. The other thing he did, and I'm, I'll stop here because I don't want to rip on Jack's medical skills too much. But when it's time to finally get the shrapnel out of the marshal's torso, he could bring anybody, right? He could probably ask some folks on the beach who should come. But instead, he brings the one guy who's like who's faints, afraid of blood. Who's going to pass afra- out. Who faints, yeah. I mean, maybe a prereq question is like, hey, is anyone, does anyone, are they okay around blood? And they could, <laughs> and maybe the guy is like, "No, I pass out. Don't bring him." <laughs> Doesn't really grow. And I know that might be controversial to say, but I don't think he ever grows from from being who he is in this episode, which is somebody who sliced open his spine. Yeah, spinal surgery. Spinal <laughs> surgery. Yeah, not not good. I agree. And I, one of the questions I had for you guys was, and Stephen kind of answered it for his perspective, was, "Is Jack?" the most divisive leading man or leading uh, character in the history of television. <laughs> How about uh, this? See, I'm... How about this? Has an audience ever had a more complicated relationship with a lead character than with Jack? And that's Ooh. maybe not, maybe not for you yet, Ryan, but yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Well, let's get your thoughts, Ryan. What do you think? Just always thinks that, that, that he's right even in the face of his terrible mistakes or at the very least his own carelessness. And it's not a likable quality. Uh, mm. You know, it's usually you want to see somebody contend with that, but he, you know, he certainly doesn't contend with it here. And, and the problem for me was that he doesn't seem to have to face the consequences of it in any real way down the road. That's true. And look no further than his story that he tells Kate. He's so certain that that's profound when he's telling her that he like stopped doing his job for five seconds because he was scared while a kid was like <laughs> something bad happened on the table in front of him. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't see him being like <laughs> he's no Walter White. Let's just say that. Good. Yeah, that's actually a really good uh, good parallel. We root harder for an antihero than we do for, Ex- for Jack. Exactly. Exactly. If if you think if you think about it, he he may be one of the last male TV heroes. And I, and I think we learned if there's one thing that came out of the end of the 2000s and certainly uh, proliferated in the teens, it's that we really are more interested in male anti-hero characters as the leading men of our TV shows. We don't want anything to do as, as viewers uh, with somebody who is the savior, know, pure and righteous. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. You ruined the archetype forever. <laughs> After this, <laughs> Lost fans just completely pushed it the other way. We're like, mm-mm. Yeah, give us less of Jack. We want, we want deplorable, <laughs> unredeemable guys. <laughs> give me more of them. Absolutely. Well, that's, all, that's, that's even true within the microcosm of this show, which I know Ryan is not quite there yet, and I'm sure he might know who we are probably referring to, but somebody certainly takes his place, at least for, I, I know, a couple of us as the favorite character on the show mm-hmm. so good good point and i will transition there to a question for ryan interestingly enough this is part of my love hate relation the beginning of my love hate relationship with jack which i don't know how much you remember my how, my growing and mounting dislike of jack of a, a, a as a character over the seasons <laughs> of course but really even in hindsight like especially knowing kind of who he is beyond this i mean he, he to me he's one of the characters who is Sawyer immediately the coolest character you've ever seen on television? Oh, God. He's right off the bat, he's so annoying to me as a TV character. <laughs> I was just like, are you kidding me? Just the most racist white guy right off the bat. Like, just straight out of an episode of Justified. 
<laughs> There's a lot to unpack you, for sure. You sh- you sure about that, Freckles? <laughs> Terrorists, like, good oh my god, just immediately goes after the the Iraqi dude just without even knowing him. Yeah, even though he ends up being part of the republic, so okay. Yeah, kind of right on that one. Okay, fine. He's actually he's actually in a cowboy show right now with oh, his perfect. Yeah. So I I wonder then because the guys who've seen this, I feel like Sawyer was something else to us. Like I don't feel like at that time, maybe it was I don't maybe we weren't as woke as we are now. And obviously it was kind of a scumbag out of the gate, but when yeah. we first saw Sawyer as kind of the antithesis of, of Jack, and he comes out and he's I think is he smoking <clears throat> a cigarette? He's doing something cool. Yep. yep. And smoking I'm like this dude Reading, he was I'm reading. Like, this something. dude looks like he's like a cross between yep. Matthew McConaughey and Kid Rock. You're like, I want, <laughs> I want more of this guy. Give me less of Jack, uh, more of more of Sawyer. But then the racist stuff and the rewatch was like, yeah. oh man, he's yeah. not. He's actually a scumbag. <laughs> I also think you know, nine, nineteen year old. Uh, like I feel like if I watched this when I was nineteen, I probably would have been into him too. I'd be like, oh yeah, look at this guy coming in here smoking a cigarette. Yep. We wanted um, to be that guy, probably. <laughs> Slicking his hair back. It, yes. It's about the journey with him. And as, as much the journey with him as it is the journey with Jack pushing us more towards him. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think part of it for me, too, is, you know, I've watched, you know, this is, I mean, how old is this now for you guys? So back then I could see you get, being into it. But, like, now, like, once he came on screen, I just immediately called, like, immediately saw what his character was going to go into in the next freaking two episodes like he's just gonna be the jerk basically yeah one thing i thought was pretty funny was when he is first outed as, as, a, as a definitely uh racist if not you know he's, he's stereotyping saeed um and then <laughs> and then what happens is he calls hurley lardo and everyone goes whoa Oh yeah! <laughs> so it was in 2004. Yes. You watch your it's, mouth. Was it, it more socially acceptable to be a racist than to fat shame in 2004? I, yeah, I, I guess so. You know, I mean that is actually it is probably true. It's, it's a lot of basis. <laughs> has a lot of basis. In fact, in 2004. 2004 yeah. Let's not forget that this is one um, year after we entered the Iraq yep. War, and of course, only three years removed from 9/11. So. Yeah. I think this show tried to teach us an important lesson about how, uh, you know, racism towards Middle Easterners is certainly not justified or acceptable. Um, But as network shows do, and as you talked about, that this is usification of, uh, you know, dramatic television. uh, It takes a very ham-handed approach at addressing that topic. Yeah, for sure. You guys ever played Taboo? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. taboo is the game oh, yeah. where you've got a word they have to guess, and there's a list of words you can't say. If Saeed, if Saeed was the word you had to mm-hmm. guess, I feel like all the stuff you can't say is all the things that makes him who he is as a character. It's like <laughs> <laughs> Republican <laughs> guard, <laughs> Iraqi. He knows a lot about Dude. guns and electronics. Yeah, you know, uh, and you can do that with most of the characters. They're very, very simple characters. Yes. <laughs> they're they're a little bit two dimensional. Uh, not two dimensional in the sense that like they're there's well, the there's I mean, the, the tough guy, there's the this, but they're they're all like uh deeply trodden tropes that kind of existed in their own shows or movies that they just consolidated like the cliff notes versions of those interesting character archetypes into this one really just kind of paper representation of that. What what I think they did really well with the pilot was they made it character driven enough for like you as a viewer to form like relationship with the relationships with them, like right off the bat. So like you were able to like transport yourself onto the Island and you were like, how are they getting off? Uh, what's next? What's happening? What's going on in the woods? Like you were like, almost like you were part yeah, of the show. I think that's a lot of the power in the first two episodes. And for most of the show is that it really transports you into that you know, into that world, what's going on. Like you say, with the camera work and the beach and the beginning scenes, like you really feel transported. You start looking around and seeing who the people there are. You kind of start saying, who am I going to lie with? Who do I think these people are? They end up kind of caving into all of your prejudices and biases you probably came to the island with. But yeah, I think that's a great point. I think it's also to, to a fault as well. I mean, they did such a good job with this, pilot and first season that keeping everyone happy for 
for the finale was like almost impossible. It was, I mean, they were never going to tie up all the ends, all the stories that they, so, cre- they created. So now I have a quick question about that. So when does this show, does this show ever go off the rails or is it just the fans just really didn't like the finale? So I think it's a slow kind of climb to that. And the people who were really into Lost were like really, really into Lost. So they gave it the benefit of mm-hmm. the doubt. But I think you started to see some signs when you were at some point, you have to cu- come back in. You go out with a mystery box. There's got to be something inside that box. And everything that you got, you went through to get to that had to have made sense. And when you started going in and there were new mysteries kind of unlocking in seasons three and four and yep. five, you're like, does that bring us closer to, 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 to a resolution? <laughs> or yeah. Further away. So there was this mob mentality. Okay. Where, like you're watching. It's like being at a party. And the party rocks. You get there, you know, your buddies are there. The place is, is on fire. Everything's going great. And then you're like, people start to kind of leave. And you start to look around. You're like, oh, it's a different crowd now. And then you're like waiting for somebody to show up with food or like the keg taps. And you're like, is this still a good party? Like it, it rocked initially. <laughs> and then you're the only two dudes left in the living room <laughs> doing karaoke. You're like, the party, was it ever good? And you're, you're, you're pissed. You just spent six hours at a party that might have sucked. <laughs> That's that was a yeah. nice comparison. I like that. So we're a little bitter. We're a little <laughs> bitter than the lost folks. So who's who's more bitter? Uh Lost fans, Dexter fans, or Game of Thrones fans? That's a good question. Oh. By sheer number of viewers, uh I think oh I was gonna, I was gonna say Game, no, Game of Thrones, Thrones uh, for sure. Yeah. In terms of yeah. in terms of cult- cultural impact <laughs> and overall uh how the devastation and betrayal I think people felt um, because the, with the quantity of episodes of lost, there was a lot more time for a viewer to become a little bit disenchanted. Um, it became mm. a, it, it was a grind. It was a long time uh, that you had to put in and a lot of, you, you know, eventually people just needed to make room uh, in their lives, for, just decided to make room in their lives for other things. Uh, so what they, the difference that versus something like Game of Thrones, which was appointment television for only 10 weeks out of the year. We almost didn't realize that we were in the decline of Game of Thrones until we were already fully cemented so in quick, We were already yeah. fully cemented in it. And then, of course, the ending, which will that save that for another podcast? I think just. <laughs> My relationship with Lost is that, is that is that I is that now I've come away with Lost and say like you know okay I I I need to I'm I'm done with this show like I'm I'm tuned out I I'll pay attention but like I kind of really don't don't care how this ends because for me it was really the journey for Game of Thrones it was just a feeling of betrayal and anger so uh, different relationships for me and different times too right I mean like Lost Lost mm-hmm. was appointment television in the era of appointment television it was on the decline but it still existed. Game of Thrones is appointment television in the era of on-demand and binging. Like, people weren't appointment watching anything. So when we did with Game of Thrones, and we were dedicating time out of our week to watch, at, you know, with everyone else, it, it felt like a better portrayal, or more portrayal. And it's also, there's a source, source text. So there's people who know that and are like, oh, they didn't do this yeah. right, they didn't do that right. And for four yeah. seasons of Game of Thrones or five, they could put that off to the side because the action was still good. Yep. And then you feel betrayed, like Steven said. Yep. So Lost should have prepared us for GOT, right? Did, was Lost preparing us for Game of Thrones? I think Dexter might have done a better job of that, but I don't think it had enough viewership like Game of Thrones. But, like, I knew not to watch the last season of – last two seasons of Dexter before they – like, everybody else watched them, and I was just like, all right, I just won't then. So, yeah, I think that's a good comparison, too. The difference that I see between those two is that Lost – for whatever was going on with like the overall overarching plot and not getting back to the themes and where are we going? The episodes in and of themselves were still awesome. Like the characters were great. The stories were strong. You still want to stick around and see what was going to happen. Dexter lost it completely where it wasn't compelling TV anymore. And you just wanted to see, okay, I got it. I got a book in this thing. I need closure. What happens in the end? Um, were lost in and of itself. Each episode was still a really fun watch. And there's stuff that had nothing to do with anything, but I still remember those episodes thinking back because they were that good. The stories were that tight. The characters were that good. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was almost like every week you were watching a, watching a movie. Yeah. That's what it felt like for me. It was, I mean, it was that good. I, they were, they were hour-long episodes, well, 45 minutes after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. All right, so we've talked a bit about 
Matt, uh, Sawyer, a bit about Jack, a little bit about um, Lily. What is my Lily's name? Kate. What? Okay, so we're going to shift to Charlie. I don't know how much time we need to spend on Charlie, but Ryan, I have a question for you. Charlie was the bassist of a band called Dry Shaft. Which, <laughs> which bands toured with Dry Shaft? Oh God, Drive Shaft. Which so is Drive? So are they opening for Drive Shaft or is Drive you, Shaft opening your call. For, for them? Dealer's choice. I don't know. I feel like you have a better answer than I do. <laughs> Stephen Keith, what do you guys think? Maybe touring with No Doubt. Ooh, I like that. They're opening for No Doubt. Yeah, they're opening okay. for No Doubt for sure before they blow up because No Doubt was earlier than that. So yeah, I like that opening for No Doubt. Maybe Green Day. Ooh, Green Day. I like that. Yeah. Hi, this is Drive Shaft, and uh, we're going to get the crowd nice and warmed up for uh, Sugar Ray. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Sugar Ray is great. Sugar Ray is good. All right, so here's what I was thinking. So I'm thinking that they probably, at their height, at their apex, their peak, actually, you know what? They're probably going on tour with, like, Gin Blossoms. Maybe, Ooh, maybe like, good. Spin Doctors. I think they're kind of in that, like in that era right so i'm thinking maybe like even better than ezra or seven mary three you guys remember either of those bands cumbersome yeah i remember the bands but uh i think they might have had similar trajectories to drive shaft exactly so they're riding high they're like this is gonna last forever we're the new rolling stones they're like you know your uh your candle box anybody remember candle box oh man no (laughs) candle box is good candle box is good far behind okay are these all just on like now that's music three? I mean, you guys know Jim Blossom Spin Doctors. Those, yeah, these are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. then I yeah. think they have a later resurgence and I think they do like Five for Fighting and, Li- and Lifehouse tours. So I think they're with those guys in like the early 2000s. There you go. <laughs> Huddle them up. Huddle them up. Train. Train, definitely. <laughs> go to the first big kind of event that changes the show from one thing to something entirely different. And that is the appearance of what later becomes known as the smoke monster, but the appearance of the monster ripping the pilot out of the plane, that moment thoughts on that moment. I want to hear from Ryan first, it being your first watch. So immediately my immediate thought watching that scene, just Cloverfield. I was just like, Mm. Oh, is this like, is this like the prequel to Cloverfield? (laughs) That was my first thought because, like, I obviously you know you guys know all about that, but that I so I actually watched that movie, but that was obviously after all this. Uh, not th- I mean, I definitely didn't see it coming at all. I mean, obviously you heard the noise in the woods and all that, but like I knew there was like weird sci-fi stuff to the show, but I had no idea it was getting into like monsters and stuff. I had no clue. Somehow I've avoided that all that over the years. Yeah, it definitely becomes a new show. Uh, what Keith, Stephen, did that transport you back to what you thought when you first saw it at all? I mean, I this the CGI was great for 2004. Like when they pan, when it's Kate, Jack, and Charlie walking up to the um, to the wreckage, and they don't show it to you at first, and then he pans forward, and it just shows the whole front of the plane. That was such an awesome shot. Um. But yeah, definitely transformed me back. I actually forgot that he was sucked out of the, the the window, so that was a little bit of a surprise to me. But I did remember everything else that happened with the um, transponder and Charlie in the bathroom. Yeah, it was it was a really good scene. That was one of the best scenes of the pilot. Felt for sure. like uh, Jurassic Park a little bit. I read that 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 scene took three days oh, to wow. shoot. Yep. Honestly, I felt like Charlie at the end yeah, of the episode it's too. Pretty crazy. Guys. Where, Where are, we? are we? Where are we? Where are we? Exactly. <laughs> so I think the one thing with that scene that kind of surprised me on the rewatch was like their reaction. I was a little surprised that not one of them screamed when the guy got ripped out of the, the plane by by some monster. They all kind of just like, oh, shit. Like they weren't super concerned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it became a monster movie, weird. but they weren't in that movie. They were still in the like we're not we're lost on an island. Oh wow, I didn't I didn't even catch that. Hey, shock is a is a perfectly reasonable reaction to some indescribable gigantic beast ripping a man from a strapped into a chair and <laughs> splaying his guts all over the window. 
That's fair. And to be fair also to the characters, Jack and Kate, not the probably most depth of emotion, right? They're, they're, probably, <laughs> they're, pretty, they're not super deep characters. Kate's faces when we find out that she is the criminal, she's sitting next to the marshal. Her faces in that scene were a little distracting for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Keith. This is your girl. I know you're a big Evangeline Lily guy. At least you were 16 years ago. Where are you, where are you at now? Tell yeah, us oh, yeah, that. Definitely. Where were you at then and where are you at now with Evangeline Lily? I mean, then she was definitely my crush. I mean, now she's, she's 40 now and she looks unbelievable. Um, she's the wasp, right? So I don't know. She is the wasp, yeah. And she's in like a couple Lord of the Rings movies. Um, I have her discography. <laughs> <laughs> it is my you stand. Had her, you had her poster on your, uh, your wall in your dorm room. No, that was, what was her name? Beard? Something Beard you had. Amanda Beard? Is that a oh, person? God. Amanda, uh, oh, uh, Amanda P? Marissa Miller? I'm look this up. Keith had a lot I of stuff Marissa on his walls Miller. back then. We don't talk about it. Anyway. Let's move on. Uh, Keith, married man now. We're going to move on from Evangeline Lily. Okay, so we're on to the monster. Question for you guys. Bigger monster in the first two episodes. Smoke monster or Shannon? (laughs) My vote (laughs) Shannon all day. Shannon Shannon was set up to fail. I I feel like like that character just never had any place to go. She seemed more out of place than just about anybody else, both from her acting ability and just the character archetype. Like, who is even like that on a beach after a plane crash? <laughs> it doesn't seem human. Yeah, it was a caricature. I know like, she, like, yeah, exactly. she yeah. when they first show her, like, after the plane crash, she has not a scratch on her body. Her clothes aren't even dirty. She's just standing yeah. there. Like, screaming. Innocent. In the first scene, screaming. she's screaming like an, like, an, like an idiot. Like she's Oh, yeah, like screaming. screaming. Yeah? Yeah. She, uh, and I was, like, watching, I was like, my initial reaction was like, man, I forgot how bland she is and how much of a, yeah, just like a, a vapid waste of her character. And then she has a moment with Claire and I think they're going to bond. And Claire says, I haven't felt the baby move. And Shannon just stares at her with this bovine stare on with no emotion. I'm like, could you like reassure her? Like, I'm sure baby's fine. Like she does nothing. And that's give her like, something. Give her something. She has another baby move. So what? So what is she? Is she like? Is she like the two thousand four uh, version of an influencer? <laughs> I like that. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Because she, they don't really say what she is, right? Is she a model, maybe? Yeah. That's she great. puts, she puts, she puts influencer in her Instagram bio, but really, what <laughs> she's doing is she's peddling DoTerra essential oils, <laughs> and possibly very, very low in the chain for Arbonne. Yeah, she's multi-level marketing, but she's really pushing hard on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, but she has money because she's definitely rich. She's got money. Good for her. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's just doing she's TikTok money. dances left and right at like the pool house. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I I I totally forgot. Just a little quick side note. This is the reason why I hate I hate her character so much because she's also the daughter in all the Taken movies, and she's terrible in that too. Especially because oh, she's like, wow. thir- oh. especially because she seems like she's thirty by the time Taken rolls around. <laughs> How like, is that possible? Weird. Acting like again, Dude. acting like an eleven-year-old being abducted. Wow. She somehow was more mature and Taken, and she was supposed to be ten years younger. Exactly. Oh, she was so gross. Well, I, I think it was. The, I don't know if it was the first Taken. I don't even know if I watched the other two. But she's there was like just scenes of her just running and screaming, and it's just so bad. Oof. Yeah, not strong. Anyone else uh, that you guys want to spend a little time on for characters? We gotta I go, think most gotta of go the lock. other characters have their best moments in episodes to come. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the one thing... Go ahead. Agreed. I mean, they they managed to flesh out like 15 characters in the pilot. Yeah, it's that pretty impressive. are of some yeah. relevance, which is unbelievable. That's true. That's it. it certainly covered a lot of ground. I mean, that's a lot of work. To do that and still have so much happening from an action perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to remember. I mean, I think we all probably had a similar experience with Locke through our first watching of Lost. Um, And I was trying to remember watching this. Like, when did that start? Like, when did that love affair with John Locke start? And I think there's kind of hints. He's, I mean, Terry O'Quinn's an amazing actor, of course. I mean, there's hints of what's to Mm -hmm. come. 
um, in that episode. And there's just stuff where he's like, he's, he doesn't say anything, but he's super charismatic and you want to give him a hug. Like you want that to be your dad. He smiles with the orange in his mouth. You're like, this guy, what a sweetheart. And then toward the end of the second episode, he has that interaction with Walt where he basically Locke might have the most important line in the first two episodes. He says, he's talking about, um, what are they playing? Backgammon, Chinese checkers. Backgammon. 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 He goes, uh, he go. He's kind of. He, he walks through the You know the the history of it. Five thousand years ago, Mesopotamia. All that, which is really cool. Um, and then he says, two sides. One is light. One is dark. Pause. Reaction shot. Back to him. Can I tell you a secret? I love that line. I feel like that should have been the true north of the show. The two sides. One is light. One is dark. Oh, totally. Like that's the lodestar. Like is just that- go back to that. Is that a reference to just not? Well, ultimately, and, and this is a huge spoiler, but ultimately, they, I mean, they are in purgatory or a version of purgatory. So there's light and dark in everyone. They're being pulled in both directions. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, they've got to go one way or the other. So I think that everything that happens should have a is this lighter, is this dark, um, and what's the force behind it? I think, yeah, consequence. And I think they do that for for a lot of it, but they they lose that plot when they leave the island and some other things happen. <laughs> Sorry, Rai. They leave the island. It's not good. <laughs> okay, so with the guys who have seen it, well, you know, let's start with Ryan. So he says, "Ask Walt if he wants to know a secret." Ryan, what do you think the next line is? What does Locke say? Walt, you want to know a secret? After watching episode one, oh, I would have thought he was the convict. Oh, you want to know a secret? I'm a, I'm a convict. <laughs> yeah, or like, I, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell daddy. <laughs> Don't tell daddy. So Stephen and Keith, having obviously experienced all of Lost, looking back, what do you think that secret, what do you think he told Walt? We find out what he told Walt, don't don't we? Didn't or or uh, did I just infer that? I, um, I yeah, I, I was always inferring it as I was paralyzed. Well, no, I was actually thinking that. Uh, oh, go ahead. That that. Uh, the island has powers because we find out, I think uh, a couple episodes right. down, maybe that he, he told that to Walt at some point, but I don't necessarily, I inferred that it was that, at that moment that he tells him that. Yeah. Um, How would he have and, known and, then? And, and about his paralysis. Because he's not paralyzed anymore. Oh. Yeah, exactly. So right. So have, I think have you that's that where I thought he's going with it. Yeah. 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 I watched the lock episode. That was my okay. favorite episode so far. Is it possible that Locke tells him that we're in the afterlife? That this is purgatory. There's something supernatural here. Yeah, very. I never, I, I never assumed that. I mean, it certainly could be possible. Who knows what the Who knows what the writers were thinking? They probably maybe they didn't know, right? They, well, they, yeah, uh, I guess he, I guess he would have to have the island would have to have some powers because not only was he not paralyzed anymore, but he didn't have any atrophy from being paralyzed for years. Just got yeah. up, started walking. And honestly, like the rewatch of this, I was like, maybe it's like suspension of disbelief and you just really want to believe it. But a plane gets ripped into three pieces in midair and 48 people survive. They're not alive. These people aren't alive. Yeah. No, there's no, there's no chance. And they're not unscathed. The worst, the worst injury is a guy with shrapnel in his body. And then, and then uh, a couple of people got cuts. Oh, and don't, don't, don't forget the TV trope CPR come back to life with the, uh, the black lady there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Are you saying that doesn't really happen? No, it'll just <laughs> jump up. <laughs> uh, he also good. wasn't doing CPR properly, but nope, that's okay. Not even close. After he immediately shits on Boone for doing it the way he was doing it. Yep. <laughs> He's like, get out of your lifeguard. Go find me pens. Let me show you how to do it wrong properly. all right so i had some thought i I mean overall my rewatch i loved it i really enjoyed everything about the show that i liked the first time but i think i was able to appreciate some of the unintentional comedy more on a rewatch so i'm curious if you guys had a similar experience and if you did i want to hear what your favorite unintentional comedy moment was let's start with keith i mean i had a bunch but uh I'd say the one I laughed the hardest at was Jack was by the fire with Kate and all of a sudden a banana leaf plane comes into the screen and he's like, here's what happened. We dropped like 5,000 feet and then the back of the plane ripped off. And she was like, yeah, I saw it rip off. 
<laughs> yeah, I saw that. That's good. I, yeah, well, how does he know all that? How's he Because he, he took two flying lessons? Yeah. <laughs> good God. He's got Here's a banana leaf. Was he carrying the banana leaf plane in his I pocket? Know. Or did he just fashion it right then? Like MacGyver. <laughs> all right, uh, Steven. Steven, what do you got? No, so I, I think that probably my, my favorite unintentional comedy was just their overall representation of Charlie as the drug addict. I think everything about that just was handled not very deftly at all. <laughs> he's just <laughs> skittering around the plane. He's, he's just tapping his fingernails on the, on, uh, on the seat. And then he, he goes and he gives himself like a gummy of, of, of heroin, but then goes in like he just mainlined that shit. I just don't, I, I don't like, think that anybody has any concept of what, what, what's supposed to be going on with him. All of his faces, all of his mannerisms were comedic to me, knowing that they were just not rooted anywhere in reality. Yeah. <laughs> and I like, I like Charlie. I think he's a good character, but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm oh, yeah. oh yeah. He's, totally. he's awesome. Yeah. He's a good actor too. Well, I was going to say basically everything Charlie, like his every line he has is just so funny. But I also had uh, basically just the whole relationship between Shannon and then what's the brother's name? This is half brother. I, it's just like I didn't know if they were brother and sister. Or, like I thought they were boyfriend, girlfriend breaking up until they were like, oh, it's my it's my brother. <laughs> like it's yeah. just it was so bad. Everything she did is just it's just so like, I don't know if she's trying too hard or she's just really not that good of an actress. She's just, it was just awful and just terrible writing for her character, obviously. So for me, it was definitely the first time that Jack and Michael have an interaction. They have a dialogue and he's kind of asking him, how you doing? And, and he's talking about his son, Walt. And he's like, oh, he's not doing great. You know, um, we, we lost his dog. And Jack goes, uh, what does Jack say, guys? Do you remember? Is it a lab? <laughs> no no jack it's one of the other dogs walking around the jungle like yeah it's the lab it's the fucking lab I wouldn't happen it. to be a lab would it was dominic monaghan was he already is that his name dominic monaghan yep. Monaghan? Yep. Yeah. Monaghan. monaghan yeah was he already in the lord of the rings or was he was this his audition for how weird he could be all right so plenty of unintentional comedy so let's switch gears then. We'll talk a little bit about the IMD brief. We're going to talk about the actors and actresses and um, the writers and directors and all that stuff. So, Ryan, the floor is yours. Okay, so I have a little bit more fun trivia stuff. Um, I will, you know, I'll start with this one just because it actually kind of works into the unintentional comedy. Um, so, Jack's speech about counting to five to face his fears was written well before Matthew Fox was cast in the role. However, or coincidentally, he has a large five tattooed on his shoulder. Now, my assumption is, so that five is for his most famous role in Party of Five, right? (laughs) I hope not. I really hope not. That was my thought, too. (laughs) That that was the first thing I thought. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, did they all get matching five tattoos? Or did... He bring it up. He went and got it, and nobody else did. <laughs> I like that version. <laughs> uh, what else do I got in here? Um, I have a big one for the end, so I'm going to hold that one. Um, oh, so going back to Stephen talking about how big of a production this was, it was twelve million dollars for the first the two hour pilot, which was far greater than any cost of most television shows as a whole. This led to Disney firing ABC's chairman. Lloyd Braun for greenlighting the show, and then the show turned into their biggest hit in years. Dude got fired for greenlighting the show. Cake, cake on their <laughs> yeah. face. Yeah. Um, another thing that wasn't a big thing back then is the pilot. This both these episodes were shown with no commercial breaks. Um, oh, I didn't the, know that. Yep. Uh, um, the actual. Uh, yep. The. Keith already brought up that the that one scene retrieving the transceiver took three days. Um, the actual plane crash is barely 25 yards off the highway on the north shoot, north shore of Oahu and can be seen from incoming planes. So at the time, airlines were told to inform people that it was just a television set. Oh, wow. Not an actual plane crash. That that scene of the when they first see the cockpit when they go after their hike. 
all three actors hadn't seen it yet. So they were blindfolded walking up to it. So when they first see it, it's actually the one, the only take they took of that. So that oh, was wow. like their first reaction to seeing the set. So numbers play a huge part in yes. the show, Ryan. Um, and I think there's, I want to say six numbers that get repeated a lot. And mm-hmm. the first time you see it is in the first um, episode of the pilot when Jack gets up from his seat. He's sitting in seat number 23. And that's one of the numbers. Yeah, it's, uh, it's 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. But all right, so here's the big one that I thought was incredibly cool and would have been, I don't know how it would have changed the show. So um, Jack was supposed to be killed off in the pilot. He was supposed to be the pilot hanging from the tree after he disappears. And the the reason that was going to be is because they wanted a big name guest actor for it. And that guest actor that they that J.J. Abrams wanted to get was Michael Keaton. Uh-huh. That's awesome. And he and or he but then I no? guess he said no because he would have rather Did he have a reason. Uh, um, let's see. <laughs> what was his reason? Because <laughs> when when they change when they changed that they weren't going to kill him off after the first episode and he was going to be a regular star, Keaton declined. He just wanted to be a guest star for the first episode for the first pilot. He didn't um, want to be he he didn't want to be linked to a TV series for a long period of time. Mm. Probably smart, smart, smart move in 2004 yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's when they they maybe, but maybe if he did that, maybe we wouldn't have hated having uh, Matthew Fox as the hero, and we'd have good guy TV shows now. Yeah, that's true. So uh, I know, <laughs> I know, with all these characters, for me, like it was the first time I had seen any of them, and they'll always be synonymous with those roles. The lone exception being Terry yeah. O'Quinn um, as Locke. He's done some some cool stuff since. I'm curious Patriot. for. I'm curious for you going back or going, you know, viewing this now and potentially yeah. having a relationship with other, with other actors. What were walking me through that? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I can honestly tell you, I don't think I've ever seen anything with Matthew Fox in it. Um, I was not a big party of five guys. So, so I think I was eight when that came out. Um, but as for the other actors, like I knew Monaghan from a couple of things, always liked him. The only, I think, the only thing I knew of Evangeline Lilly was the Wasp. Um, so that's always great. And then the dude from um, what is it? Oh God, draw the blank. The prison show there, Oz. Michael. Oh yeah, Michael. Yeah, he's you know, and so so yeah, so that was a that was a different experience because Oz was before this, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a completely different role, you know. So it's it was interesting. He was probably the most interesting, interesting character I was looking at because he that was a completely different role than he played in Oz. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then Terry O'Quinn, obviously Patriot. So he can't top that. I mean, there's Steven. a lot of mystery, a lot of mystery with Michael because you don't know what's going on with him and his son because he he has like no relationship with him. Correct. And he's trying his best, and just like he's kind of a sad character, falling on his face. Yeah. Yeah. Michael does have a pretty tragic story, all all told. He was actually as not one of my favorites, but definitely one of the more interesting and layered characters that the show had. Yeah, no, he's good. He's, he's an awesome actor too. Um, so I mean, I, talking kind of switching gears to to the creators, we talked a little about J.J. Abrams' mystery box thing. Would like to dive a little into to Lindelof. Anybody want to jump in there? You know, so I've I have a lot of thoughts on Lindelof. I have a relationship now with Lindelof that spans back to this show, of course, uh, and then extends through to what I think and what many critics think is uh, one of the best shows of the last decade or more, which is The Leftovers. Um, And there is a show where I talked about how some shows have tried to recapture the mystery box elements of loss that were so compelling there's a show that almost took all the wrong lessons uh, from a previous success. Um, at, you know, Lindelof himself, looking back at his own at, at his own show and trying to find what worked, ended up creating a, an extremely compelling world. And although it, the source material wasn't his, you know, the plotting and the the, the storytelling and and the, the concept of flashbacks, it just all worked so well in a show that was just kind of took a season to find its footing, but and ended up making itself probably one of the bigger cult classic TV shows that, that we've had. Um, and is an incredibly 
and and what I think I like most about that show is that it showed where Lindelof was growing as a creator. Uh, he wasn't just telling stories with two dimensional characters around some pretty simplistic themes like black and white, good and evil, so on and so forth. Leftovers is a show about dealing with grief um, at a massive scale and at a micro scale. Um, the things that grief makes people do, the way that grief or uh, grief can be exploited. In some ways, it's prescient of things that are going to come uh, in in the next couple of years after that, where we see, you know, in many in many ways, uh, there are large parts of the country that are grieving uh, the way society is uh, has found the situation that society has found itself in now. And I think that it recognized a pattern of behavior and predicted a pattern of behavior that I think it's we're seeing that today. The idea of being on sides of an issue to an almost cult-like degree uh, is something that is uh, is addressed thoroughly there. And it just shows incredible maturity with just all the mysteries that you might love from a show. And then speaking of being extremely prescient about uh, upcoming events, although I did not uh, finish this show, um, I certainly now want to definitely revisit it in light of current events. Watchmen, or at least Damon Lindelof's take on Watchmen, is probably one of the most timely pop culture events and stories of any time period that I can think of. It effectively predicted the, um, and, and in, in some cases effectively kind of reversed the roles of what we're seeing the relationship between African-Americans and the police uh, and put that show uh, and, and put that on display, you know, people who are looking to protect the heritage that, you know, they perceive to be prideful but really ought to be perceived as shameful. Those are all concepts that are played with in that show. And, you know, it really is a reflection of somebody who is able to really read the, the tea leaves and understand, better understand the human psyche. So although in Lost, we took some really creative journeys, I think that as, as he matured as a, as a storyteller, I think that he has interesting and very deep human stories that are going to really persist well beyond when, you know, when, lost is kind of lost its relevance yeah i think that i think that's bang on and i think so i mean i almost look at it as lost being like on the job learning for those guys to become what they are today and i feel like it's easy to to come out of a show like lost with so much fanfare and it's an incredible show but then to you know flop or not become what you expect of those people like maybe we're going to see that with benny off and weiss we don't know hopefully we don't but I think it's 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 very hard to live up to that hype coming out of something <laughs> like that, right? Um, so I think the fact that we can talk about Abrams and Lindelof and their their successes after that and their massive ones, I think that's um, you know it's a testament to their their ability for sure. Okay, so um, and we kind of went down the the Abrams thing. We talked a bit about the mystery box. Do you guys know the origin of the whole mystery magic box thing with with JJ Abrams? No, nope. Because no, he kind of coined the phrase, right? He kind of coined almost a genre of, of, of television and film but with Mystery Box. Um, so and I remembered it. So I went back and researched. I remembered the, the story before because he gave a TED Talk like three years after Lost or during Lost, I think. But he, as a kid, loved magic. And one day he bought a Mystery Magic Box from the magic store. And Mystery Box, the whole point of it is inside of it, there's some kind of magic. It could be anything. And he never opens the box. And he was more drawn to, in, in his own words, uh, is I find myself drawn to infinite possibility, that sense of potential, and I realize that mystery is a catalyst for imagination. So as a kid, gets a gift and never opens it, which is pretty, pretty, <laughs> I'll show some self-restraint on its own. But I thought that that was a pretty interesting kind of allegory for what Lost is. I feel like the point of Lost is to present more mystery rather than to present answers. And throughout the course of the show, it's mystery upon mystery. And it's almost like somebody looking at this mystery box going, what if it was that? Oh, but what if it did that? Could be this. Why don't we do all those things? What if it's that? Because that's what Lost felt like as it kind of unspooled over seven seasons or however many seasons. So that was kind of the, the parallel that I had made there. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I said this earlier. I, I, the The driver of the show is the mystery, but what it's really about is all, all characters. Like, that's what keeps you coming back. But there's oh, always that no. little thing that yanks you. Like, ooh, what's that? Is that going to get them off the island? Maybe? I don't know. But then you're you're always paying attention because... Well, not paying attention, but, like, you're drawn in because of the characters. 
Yeah, for sure. I think that the show on its own couldn't exist if it didn't have the strong Correct. characters and the stories. If it was just the mysteries, I think it's not anywhere near as compelling and it probably doesn't last a more than a couple of seasons. But the flip side of that, if you if you peel away all the mystery and it's just a character driven drama with the stories, I think it's I think it's it's still a compelling watch. So you guys want to feel really old? Yep. In two thousand four, Millie Bobby Brown was born. Wow. Oh my God. You want to oh you want to feel older? Yep. <laughs> okay. The premiere of Lost is closer in time to the collapse of the Soviet Union than it is to right now. <laughs> Get out. It's true. It's also close. Just and just and <laughs> it's also closer to Ronald Reagan's presidency than it is right now. Jesus. <laughs> All right, last one. The premiere of Lost is closer to the construction of the pyramids than to right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's my joke. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> Awesome, guys. Well, that was fun. Any any parting words or parting thoughts uh, related to Lost? You all, Get everybody. Lost. <laughs> you all, everybody. Awesome. Well, good stuff, guys. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I think I think it went pretty yes. well. Um, I think we'll uh, look forward to doing another one of these, maybe with Lost, maybe something else. Sounds Sweet. good. All right, so one more thing from 2004, and then we'll wrap. Here's some new words and terms that were added to the English Dictionary in 2004. Paywall, life hack, social media, waterboarding, and <laughs> and podcast. Hey. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like it. Well, and on that note, that was a podcast, everybody. Woo! <laughs> I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>